Hello, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Welcome. This is episode number 87 and a lot has happened since my last podcast. The biggest thing being that I put out my new album. My third album, here is one I know you know, is out through It Records and you can stream it or buy it off Bandcamp or find it in a record store and do all the things that you normally do. I'm so excited. It's finally out in the world and on its own little journey. Um, So if you feel like it, go and check it out. Uh, My guest for this podcast is the very clever Alex Gow. We talk about his new album, which comes out in October. Meanwhile, I immediately got the name of his album wrong in this chat and it turns into a bit of a giggle fest for a while. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, But we do end up having a really great chat about some very important and serious things. Alex is, of course, from the band Oh Mercy and has recorded an album now under his own name, Alexander Gow, called Dizzy Spell, and it's really beautiful. You should definitely keep your eyes and ears peeled. We didn't get to talk about this in the chat, but Alex also made a really interesting podcast called One Guitar, where he sent a Gibson acoustic guitar around the country to different artists to write a song on, and then he interviewed them about the process. Uh, there were actually some friends of this podcast on, such as Sarah Blasco, Paul Kelly, and Bernard Fanning, and it's a really interesting listen. I highly recommend it. You get a real insight on how these geniuses work. So check out the podcast One Guitar. The illustration for this episode is a little bit different to the usual process. Alex and I started this podcast creating an AI image of a pigeon breaching a waterfall to calm us down a little. So um, we thought it'd be funny if the show illustration was also done by AI. Um, We were both looking at the picture of the pigeon breaching a waterfall as we recorded this episode. So it might be a nice thing for you to also look at that picture while you're listening. All illustrations, as always, are available on the Hearsay podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Twitter is officially off the table. Uh, Enjoy this episode number 87 with Alex Gow. Instead of looking at my Pro Tools screen, I might Google image search something to look oh, at. Oh, that's a nice idea. Um, what are we going for? Um, you know what? I just tried to in a mad rush. I just bought a new Mac Mini, um, and for the mm-hmm. studio. And in a mad rush, I just tried to set up my own profile when I had about ten minutes before, <laughs> before the interview, mm-hmm. and. Anyway, long story short, I can't see my notes on my screen. So now I have my notes on my phone and it's a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all stressing me out a lot. So in in which case I'm going to look at a waterfall or some, a pigeon. Perfect. Waterfall and pigeon? Yeah. I'm going to see if I can, in fact, I'm going to ask my AI to create me a um, a painting of, um, in the Renaissance Rococo style painting of a pigeon <laughs> bre- breaching the waterfall and I'll send you please send it to me and then I'll put it on my screen I'm so excited mm. <laughs> sinking mm. it's calculating oh good god <laughs> everything kind of looks like um 
I feel like everything this AI creates looks like pictures, illustrations you would have found in an illustrated Bible in, oh, the, like, <laughs> in you know, the year 2000 or the 90s. The 90s illustrated Bibles, the golden era of illustrated <laughs> Bibles. All right, it's coming through, coming through now. Whoa. That is... <laughs> yeah, fuck. Zoom into the bottom left one and see oh, how there's... Yeah, there's pigeons in the water. The pigeons are the water or the water are the pigeons. The pigeons are the water. That The ones on the top left look like your regular Melbourne laneway p- pigeons, but bohemian pigeons. All right, it's on my screen. Ready to go. Looking at the same thing. Ready to go. It's so nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I've, I've been a fan of the podcast for yonks. And, well, um, I've been a fan of yeah, you. A fan of your music too. Oh, I'm yeah. a fan of you and your music and your podcast. How's that? Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, you may have been <laughs> one of the very few people that listened to it, but I um I appreciate it. Yeah, for a while there, we were music podcast yes, pals. Yes, because I think I reached out because I I really loved what you were doing. But we can we can talk more about your amazing podcast later. I want to okay. talk about you have a beautiful album coming out which i've been listening to non-stop since i got it um i don't mm. know when it's coming out i don't know if you know when it's coming out but it's beautiful yeah it's it's coming out the last friday of october oh amazing which is a, which is surely a 20 something yeah that's got to be a 20 something for sure yeah it's so beautiful it's called dizzy Thank spill you. dizzy spell <laughs> <laughs> Are you very impressed by my research? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it's such a funny name, but I'm glad. Multi-dimensional <laughs> title. My friend called it Jizzy Smell. And, um, you, it's called Jizzy Smell. How do you feel about it right now? <laughs> Christ. Um, <laughs> how do I feel about it right now? I, yeah. feel, like I've, I feel like I've picked the, the wrong title. That rhymes with jizzy smell and is making you laugh for some reason, um, even when you're using the correct name. So yeah, I'm it's feeling called, like look, I've made a terrible mistake. No, that's co- completely on me. It's called dizzy spell, which is a perfectly legitimate name for something. It's you know that's an actual term, not dizzy spill or jizzy smell, um, and it's such a beautiful album. It really is. I'm really excited to talk to you about it because it's it's the first thing you've done under your own name. Yeah. So I did five records as Oh Mercy and um, one during the lockdown in Melbourne under Perfect Moment um, just for a bit of fun. And yeah, I guess I'm, um, I'm 35 now and feeling a lot more comfortable and relaxed, you know, feeling very adult. Yeah, you are an adult. Legit. <laughs> yeah. And I think despite <laughs> this, despite the cheesy smell gags from three minutes ago, I, I'm feeling like an adult. Um, <laughs> at least comfortable enough to embarrass myself on this podcast immediately <laughs> um, with my childish humor. Yeah. I really don't think we're going to be terribly serious, to be honest. No. Um, it's funny because we probably, you probably had the opportunity to edit that out after yeah. the first couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> That, that opportunity is long past and it's definitely it. in. It. Yeah. It's in. When I called you tonight, I was immediately happily um, reminded of the fact that you are, you are Alex Gowser, in inverted commas, Gow, in my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you and mine are um, Sayer, Slayer Vogel. <laughs> when were you, when, when were you uh, anointed that, that nickname? 
I think that um, I want to say that maybe Spod did it. I'm unsure. But how how were you anointed Gowser? <laughs> um, well, you know what? I'm famously unnicknameable. Like I didn't have one in high school. But uh, our mutual friend Bernard Fanning, um, Bernard Cowboy Fanning, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, calls me Gowser. So Gowser Gowser among among our circle, it, it is. You know, I had to take the cowboy out of Bernard's phone number because. I think I was texting him about some serious stuff and it was really freaking me out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Cowboy's just a yeah. bit too, like... A little bit too yeehaw. Yeah, I was definitely just um, going through a bit of a hard time and it felt weird texting a cowboy. But, you know, <laughs> it was nice texting a gowser. Okay, I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> so, my, my OCD can't leave a question unanswered. Um, Great. So, returning to your question about it being released under my own name, it just yes. felt like the time was right. And I always thought I'd do five. I always thought I'd do immersing in my 20s, turned 30, did that perfect moment record. Um, and here I am. And it's time to stop being a coward and not hide behind a project name. And fortunately, the, the timing is right because like, I feel like I've, pre- I've written and recorded something that feels very much myself. You know, it's, mm. it, I feel like I sound comfortable and there's no like I'm not laboring to um to kind of... um demand attention and and I'm not like and I'm not laboring to try to um like stretch some muscle just to demonstrate to an audience that I can do this and I can do that and I'm not just this and I'm not just that I just I just Mm. feel comfy and so it was about time I used my name yeah that's it's so interesting that you would use the word comfortable because um I've been reading some of your interviews from your past and you've and you said Mm. that you worry that being comfortable is the death of good art. Do you still feel that way? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I don't. Not at all. But that kind of makes sense because I was, um, I was hell bent on, you know, creating a constant set of sense of momentum for myself when I was writing those Oh Mercy records in, in my twenties. And you know, like lots of young people are, I was, um, I was like forging a self identity, and and I thought to do that, you just kind of had to um, push push the boundaries and. Uh, I was really focused on being um, <clears throat> um, reactive and, and responsive. And I, when someone said I was one thing, then I thought, well, I can't be that if that's what they think. So I must try to do something else. Yeah, and, just um, pushing I against the grain. Lean, I can't lean yeah. into something. I can't do it twice. I can't get comfortable. I have to keep on pushing those boundaries. And, you know, and I did push those boundaries and I feel like, not, you know, it's a normal thing to happen to young people. Um, sure. maybe young men a bit later than young women I don't know but um, um, it took me until I was like about 30 to go uh-huh this is this is it this is me and um, no no more no more pushing you know yeah I think it's really it's a great moment when you realize that being comfortable is actually nice that it doesn't mean that you've given mm. up it means that you've maybe found yourself a little more spot on and like that's worked its way into my um creative process i suppose um not i suppose just exactly it has worked its way into my creative <laughs> process i i write best when i'm feeling healthy like mentally yeah. and physically you know like when i'm jogging i'll often stop and and make notes for, for lyrics and get home and sit at the piano and, and figure something out um you know i write well when i've had a, enough sleep and mm. blah 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 um and so yeah it's that that idea of being comfortable i suppose it also works its way into feeling healthy um in, in mind and, and body, I suppose, and uh, and that's 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 the place I've ended up, and I feel pretty fortunate to be in that position. 
That's so nice to hear. From what I know about you, it sounds like you've sort of had some pretty severe ups and downs. And I think you've written all the way through those. So mm-hmm. it's so nice to hear that you've that you've made a record that you feel really comfortable in and you feel like, you know, represents yourself the way that you are now in a good way. Yeah, yeah, it feels good too. Um, it's a bit of a relief actually. Yeah, yeah it it's so nice. And you recorded it on four track. Now I have a few mm. tech questions, which hopefully right, won't be it. too boring, but four track, are you talking about like quarter inch or are you talking about like what kind of Um, half inch half inch yeah it's like one of those waist high um units i suppose you call it as opposed to like a reel-to-reel that you'd i don't know have up on a shelf or on your desk up against a wall yeah so it sits flat um and it was made in 1970 and which is which is interesting because by then they had the tech to do you know eight 16 tracks yeah. and stuff so maybe it was like an entry-level one back then or something i don't know that's so cool um, i mean the eq mm. sounds so nice i'm sure that's partially because of mixing and stuff but it sounds it sounds so beautiful well, um, thanks yeah we didn't have to do much in the mixing because it's made basically just the sound of the instruments and the in the tape machine now the eqs and such is just like this um old um i suppose it's early 80s yamaha desk like an eight channel thing which probably was just like a rehearsal room style desk um but i mean you know what i mostly left things pretty neutral i just added a little bit of top end to some things and um so it's basically just the sound of the instruments and the room, which happens to just be like the front room of this rental that I'm in. Maybe. Um, and did you record it all live, mainly? Well, it was tricky because lots of it's just me. Um, but if you hear bass guitar and there's also drums in that track, that means that my friend Richard Bradbeer played it and uh-huh. he recorded that live with Pete Luscombe. But that Maybe. was on top of a bed that I'd already like written and, and recorded. And then I played um I played the bass guitar in the songs where there's no drums. Um, so mostly just me um, overdubbing on top of myself and then having to commit. Like in, So there are on several songs more than four tracks that you can hear. So that just means you kind of have to bounce down and commit to them like they did in the old days. And it also meant because I didn't have a tape... Um, what do you call it? Tape engineer, tape assistant? No, yeah. Some kind of... It used to be a profession, right? But... Um, uh, I had no one helping me there, so I had to go for full takes, um, which yeah, and I'm not the I'm not the most competent player, so it just meant that I had to like I would spend even two hours just trying to get a good acoustic guitar take that I could stand listening to. I can relate to that. <laughs> it really makes <laughs> you practice. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up yeah. like playing better than I've ever played because I just had to concentrate more. Um, and so, yes, and that probably brings up like an interesting point. Maybe there's there's two reasons I used the tape. One was to limit myself intentionally, mm. um, because it was the type of record I I made and well, wanted to make, and then ended up making. Fortunately, was something that sounded really intimate, um, and that was fairly you know um, bare bones into and just principal kind of elements of the songwriting and um, fairly conventional. Uh, in, um, instrumentation and so like that's the machine to represent that um well but also it um there's a psychological thing that happens when you're using different technology the technology that you're unfamiliar with and in this instance tech that uh with less um opportunity to to, to fix errors i suppose and so i i had to concentrate more it's the same thing when i take photographs as you know i like to take pictures yeah. and i use 
film cameras for that and that's not because i'm a snob from melbourne <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's because like um you're it's it's like it's there's labor involved in um developing it and scanning it and they're kind of bloody expensive the film's kind of expensive too um yeah and so you really you're, have to um, make an effort you're going to make it worth it so you're concentrating and your your senses are heightened yeah um and that's a wonderful feeling um and so uh, and it also does interesting things to to the image. So it's just kind of the parallel idea with the tape machine over there, which I'm looking at it now. That's what I'm saying over oh, there. I mean, nice. I'm actually in the room that I that I wrote and recorded the record. Mm. I was thinking about your yeah recording style and the the one take phenomenon a lot when I was listening to your vocals because I think that most of your vocal takes were just so spot on. I mean, some of them are double tracked, which has its own beauty to it Mm. but some of the ones where you're just singing um by yourself i can imagine the pressure of doing that once (laughs) is is quite immense and i i feel like you really nailed it oh thank you um the thing with the vocals i i left i bounced everything down so it was that at the end there was a channel that i could dedicate to my vocals so if if i did a full take and listened back and i wasn't happy i would just re-record over that fourth track Yes. So it's not like I was commit committed to like the first thing that I sung. Um, yeah, but I did have to commit to full takes. Which people just don't do no. these days. I, I would find no, that really do. difficult, to be honest. I think, I mean, I, I feel like I just comp and comp and comp. Well, um, fortunately, I had the time, you know, this bit, this machine being in my, my music room. I'm lucky enough to like, I'm living in this rental that's falling to bits, which means it's pretty cheap, which means I'm renting two rooms and I have this music right. room and this... um. My friend Rowan Sforcina, who co-produced the record and mixed it, lent me this this gear, right, the the tape machine and everything else. Um, and he said, just make the record. There's no no time limit on it. So I had that time, and um, as much as I was concentrating, like I said, and really focused, I I also didn't feel I didn't feel rushed. I didn't feel pressure. Um, and so um, I think that you can hopefully hear that. Like uh, I, I hope that it. Whatever the opposite of laboured is, I mean, um, I hope it does. You know, I think effortless is actually a bit of like the kind of the wrong word because it implies there's no effort, and there was yeah. plenty of effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just hope it sounds e- like I don't want to sound e- easy. Is kind of wrong too, but just well, I, I don't know. I think it sounds or maybe comfortable is a good word for it. Going back to Perhaps. what you were saying before, yeah. but but I do feel like it does sound like a lot of work. The first song, which is really full you know when the the pedal steel comes in and and you've got like i feel like you you've got a lot of instruments going on um it just yeah it it doesn't sound like you would imagine a four track recording to sound it sounds really thought out and there's nothing going on like there's very few instruments and because we're not used to hearing um these really stripped back um arrangements with every with you know with a fairly bit of, a fair bit of dynamic in the performances which means that everything kind of feels loud all all at once because people are dipping in and out and giving each other a go um it it sounds it's kind of this counterintuitive thing where it actually sounds fuller and richer than a, a recording that has i don't know you know 10 12 whatever how many tracks mm. um so yeah it's a kind of ca- cool counterintuitive thing that i'm hearing too you really i mean if it wasn't written in the you know, in the notes, you you probably wouldn't even know or think about it, which is quite mm, a skill, I think. Did you start all of those songs on the piano? Or you were just saying that you sort of try and nut stuff out on the piano? Most of them. Um, most of them were written on the piano. 
I think I I enjoy writing on the piano, and I know you've probably heard this same thing from plenty of your guests, songwriters, but I'm not very good at it. I mean, I'm kind of terrible <laughs> at the guitar, and I'm even worse at the piano, but... Not true. It's Come like a... Now. No, no, you're right. I'm I'm, okay. I'm pretty good at the guitar, and I'm, I'm just, <laughs> like, good at... I'm, not like no, I'm 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 decent. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. I'm a decent guitar player. Like I know enough that I can write songs, and I I never got any I never got any better because I didn't need to. And on the piano, I just put my fingers somewhere, and I'm not clever enough to relate them to chords on the guitar. Mm. Um, and I've kind of intentionally tried not to do that, and so I just let my fingers fall as they will and move things around if they don't sound good, and then try to just repeat those things. Oh yeah. And I um and that just helps my it just helps me write chords that. Um, I otherwise wouldn't um, chords and chord progressions that I otherwise wouldn't write, and I find that really um, helpful for my writing. I think there is something really exciting about not knowing what your fingers are going to do, where where it's still a surprise. I think if you're yeah if you're a really like fuck off player and you know exactly <laughs> what's coming, then I I feel like where's the joy, you know? Like I I, yeah. I get so excited when when I can play a chord on the guitar or a chord on the piano or whatever. And, and I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that is what it's all about for me. Who's that stranger, you know, yes. that new friend or whatever. Yeah. yeah I totally understand. That's the joy. Um, yeah. That's the joy. That kind of barely hanging in there approach is, is, um, is the joy. And yeah. I, I, I make an effort not to kind of transpose that over to my knowledge on guitar. I kind of try to keep it special for for the piano and, cool thing about the, the piano is is that they're just um the keys are just switches i know within every key there's dynamic you know like soft and hard and everything in between but more or less it's just like on or off right like a switch sure um and you, you hit it and it does something yeah. whereas other instruments you have to um be clever enough to produce a nice tone tonality and timbre and um, not with the old piano you can literally just sit at it and like give it a whack and stuff happens it's pretty cool and you know i like it for that yeah, it's. I think it's very versatile. If you want it to be, you can play anything, uh-huh. and it kind of sounds nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, Just like these beautiful pigeons. Yes, um, I'm still looking at them. Fol- folding into a waterfall in the in a mid '90s illustrated Bible <laughs> um, B-roll. <laughs> um, I I wanted to talk a little bit. Speaking of. Um, you know, where, where the song goes and, and feeling that surprise and unexpectedness when I was listening to particularly the first song, but it comes up a lot in on the whole record while I was listening to it, where there's these chord changes that I personally would never have gone to. And I think a lot of the time you're going to a minor that is an unexpected minor. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you do those on purpose like you're trying to keep things interesting or you're trying to um, go somewhere that's not expected or does that just sort of fall out of your brain as is I mean it's mm, well thanks for noticing it's kind of they're intentional um there's this great quote from David Byrne you know talking heads solo artists I think he says that sometimes the body understands music before you know the head and um, as much as that sounds a bit new age and not very helpful for a, for a songwriter, I kind of, um, for, you know, a, a, a budding songwriter or whatever, um, I find that really useful for for structure. Um, and so when I've reached a point in the song where like my, my body, and I kind of literally mean it, like wants for that contrast, 
whether it be like the unexpected minor or if you're in playing you know in a minor key the unexpected mm. major yeah um i kind of have learned to teach myself to be a bit in tune with that when it kind of wants the like the floor to drop out of the song a bit um and then i just kind of sing i try to sing the note that i'm looking for that makes me feel a particular emotion that helps me like helps the floor drop out yeah oh yeah i think that's exactly the feeling i'm talking about the the floor dropping out or your or your like yeah, your your stomach sort of dropping or your heart moving or something. Yeah, there's, a loss of gravity kind of thing. There's yeah. something. Oh, good. I'm glad that translates. Yeah, and it definitely happens a lot on this record, um, and and way more I would say than than previous records of yours that I've listened to. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, just like understanding. I mean, that perfect moment record I made um was like quasi disco music, so there wasn't a lot of room for fooling around with stuff like that but technically it's been i don't know five years or more since that last o mercy record and i've tr- i think i've developed as um developed my like harmony and, and melody writing uh and definitely singing and lyrics and blah 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 but um i think that that's yeah that's something i've been working on over the last three years and i think it probably comes from understanding those carol carol king and baccarat records that i've always mm. loved but like actually kind of getting under the hood and like figuring out why they work yeah why and does so it was my heart when feel I, weird <laughs> why does yeah. my stomach move there <laughs> yeah and just adding so it was that when i want that contrast in a song structure wise I, I can go to that tool belt and go well i could try this and i could try that and, and just find the, the, the mood that, that you know that i'm searching for the perfect moment records i think you explained that as um like neo-romantic which i found really funny because i just feel like people put neo in front of (laughs) things all the time i think i in my latest bio i i say that i'm neo psych which is (laughs) completely ridiculous but i feel like yeah yeah post Post neo -neo psych yeah (laughs) that's good but i I like it it. yeah mercy was um I used to think of Oh Mercy just for myself t- to help me understand it was like Stadium Lounge. <laughs> you know, Love like that. filling the MCG with like um Paisley couches and, yeah, <laughs> and lamps. Yeah, perfect. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean so those descriptors help sometimes. They Yeah. They help. And in terms of this record, I just wanted it I think that I didn't have a fun genre name. Maybe we could work one out together, but um Neo uh, I just wanted it to be intimate. <laughs> yeah, Neo intimate. <laughs> But but speaking of my, I know this is a bit of a name droppy thing, but my friend um, Mitchell Froome, who is a talented producer and musician, he was the f- uh, he's produced the first three Crowder House records and stunt Elvis Costello and um, Randy Newman and a bunch of wonderful stuff. Anyway, he I worked with him on my second record and we've become friends. And he was the first person I sent it to. Um, I sent it to him before it was before I did the final vocals and before it was mixed. Mm. And he's just said, make sure it sounds seductive, you know, like uh-huh. make sure it, mm, make sure it maintains that seductive sound and and and, and, ele- and is elevated in the mix. And I thought that was a good word too, so like intimate and and in some ways seductive. Um, yeah, in, neo, in, in neo that it seductive. Pull, pull, <laughs> yeah, neo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. A- anti, it. anti's a good one to get in there too. Oh yeah, um, neo seductive anti. Uh, anti and then some kind of space like chamber lounge stadium oh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good neo neo uh, post intimacy neo seductive <laughs> abyss uh, 
pop. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. We did it. You know what? That sounds just like these images of these pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what's really funny? I was When I was listening to the record the first time, I thought, I mean, it's so it's so hard not to think about references in music that you already know, but I did think about Crowded House and I did think about right. people that have been, um, you know, like Elliot Smith or people that have been um, influenced by those two artists like Calexico or something. Do you ever get pissed off at people comparing your music to other, other artists? Oh, no. I mean, I, it helps kind of invite people in, you know. It's like... One artist is like the, someone opening the door and another artist is like food on the table and another mm. one's, you know, like, do you want a drink? And it's just like it, it invites people in and helps them, gives people context and makes them feel comfortable. And um, I don't know, I, I don't mind at all. And I, I adore Crowded House and I love Elliot Smith. Um, and I guess like vocally I was listening to um, that uh, that Harry Nilsson record, oh my God. a little bit of Schmilson in the middle oh. of the night. Oh, it's, I don't think that's quite right, but he sings it live with, you know, like the, I don't know, the New York Symphony Orchestra or something. And he, you know, Sinatra is a string arrange, arranger that, that worked with him. And um, so I just loved how like um, easy and charming and engaging that, that kind of delivery was. So, um, and I was also figuring out how the chords of those Nilsson songs. So for me, it's like, um, it's, uh, there's a fair bit of like a yeah. '60s stuff happening in there with Nilsson yeah. and um, and Bacharach. Man, and still. Anyone that mentions, I have a portrait of Nilsson in my house. Like I'm, I'm huh. absolutely obsessed with him. <laughs> right, um, well, anyone yeah, that me mentions too. anything to do with him, I'm like, yes. Um, but yeah, it is. It does remind me a bit of that. And I will. I would like to add some an Australian reference would be that the Reels, you know, from Dubbo, Dave Mason's group, and they released this record called um, Beautiful with couple of kind of like kitschy um covers of 60s like a country song he'll have to go and Bacharach's this guy's in love and some other great tunes on there and um the way that Dave Mason sung on that was was a big uh, influence for, for this record too yeah right I don't think I'm like as familiar but I um I should go back and listen to them if if this is the vibe well that record is one of my um Desert Island type oh. records I, that's it's it's one that beautiful record it's it's really special yeah send me a link afterwards so I don't forget okay, okay. I'll send you a link and I'll send you the pictures of these pigeons <laughs> flying through a waterfall <laughs> I've already got the pigeons <laughs> no no I, like that's just like a literal a photo of my um you want the high res ones don't oh you? yeah I'll, get I'll me the high res yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> get me the high res <laughs> um can we go back a little bit to little Galza? Um, when, when you were just a tiny Gaza and, um, can you tell me a little bit about growing up and did you grow up in a musical household and did you ever, Mm. do you ever have, like, do you have first memories of music when you were little? So I definitely grew up in a household with music. Um, dad's figured out how to, taught himself how to play the guitar, you know, in the last decade, but, um, he didn't play when I was growing up, nor, um, did mum. Um, in fact, I've never heard my mum sing, um, which is, which is interesting. Um, yeah. and I didn't realize that was bizarre until I was talking to some friends the other day. And if you're listening, mum, that's, um, we'll have to. <laughs> what? Well, not even just to like the radio? No, no, never. No, wow. not, not even a hum or a whistle. Whoa. There was great music being played all the time though. So dad was into, um, and is into, I suppose, like, 
Uh, there's a lot of divinals um, coming from Dad, a um, p- bit of Pretenders, and his favourite band is Blue Oyster Cult. Um, wow, that's great. Yeah, they've got that great song, I Love the Night, uh, you know. I'll yes. send that to you. Yeah, um, please do. After, if you haven't heard it recently. And Mum, um, Mum, the music that Mum loved probably had the biggest effect on me. So she, she loved Neil Young and loves Neil Young and Nick Cave. But the stuff that we kind of bonded over was the 60s um, girl band stuff uh, and and like um, Chanteuses, you know, like so Dusty Springfield, uh, Diana Ross, um, Dionne Warwick, um, lots of those Baccarat tunes that I spoke about earlier yeah. I first heard, you know, like mum was listening to them, um, I don't know, whatever, when she was looking after us, um, cooking for us and whatnot and me and my older brother. Uh, what a great vibe in the house yeah and i still love all those artists you know and so that was the earliest music i remember hearing Bacharach and those um and probably dion warwick seeing the Bacharach catalog and my mum and i actually went and saw both dion warwick and burt Bacharach in melbourne together um played the the separate concerts and we went to both and it was it was very cool she didn't sing along there either (laughs) no she didn't (laughs) no but i cried in the outro of um anyone of anyone who had a heart because it's just the most beautiful emotional um piece of music no no not like oh crying it's just like more like (laughs) it's just so it's so like um overwhelmingly all all crying is a bit oh Oh, okay right (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't actively crying it was a bit it was it was just like tears i had tears i welled up is that what you, you know, mean? I welled up. Yeah, you had. You just, I wasn't you know. crying. <laughs> <laughs> I did a I, just a completely off topic. I did this really weird thing last year, maybe a year before last year, where every time I cried watching a TV show, which was because I I find that I get really emotional quite easily, um, right. and and so every time I cried during a movie or a TV show, I take a selfie of myself, and huh. then I made a montage of all of the. <laughs> just me crying and it was Clever. there was probably about 60 in the whole year yeah <laughs> 60 wow yeah but it wasn't real crying because it was tv crying you know TV and some crying. of them were happy happy endings i just cried endings oh. but anyway See, i don't cry that much therefore i yeah. remember yeah, yeah that yeah. concert you know yeah i'm gonna um, send you the montage of me crying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please do please do all right, we're going to have to start a list of things to send each other. Yeah, I've got the <laughs> pigeons through the waterfall, <laughs> yeah. that reels record, reels. that voice, the cult song. Yeah, wow, you're sending me pictures memory. of you crying. Yeah, um, I'm also sending you the audio for this podcast. <laughs> yes, that's the most important one, I would say. Okay, we'll start there. <laughs> so, okay, great. So you had like Bacharach and uh, you know '60s girl groups. That's, that sounds so lovely. Yeah, lucky me, huh? What a great foundation. So I was really serious about music from the get-go, you know, and, you know, I was at an all-boys school, um, but, like, wild about Diana Ross and Dusty <laughs> and, and, you know, reading Dylan biographies at 15 and, oh. you know. Um, what were your friends into? Um, well, if you play guitar or one or two... Um, you kind of had to learn and wanted to play with other people. You had to play Metallica or Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't good enough to figure out the, to play those songs. And I didn't <laughs> also didn't want to have any friends. So it was fine. Um, but like those guys. <laughs> the strokes, the strokes came out when I was like 16 or something. Oh, and that yeah. was pretty big. Um, yeah. Those first two records were 
were um, were pretty big for me and my friends and like learning them was cool. Mm. When I started, I mean, I taught myself how to play guitar, but Come As You mm-hmm. Are was a pretty easy sort of riff oh, yeah. to learn. That's a good one, that one. Mostly on the E string. And it sounds a bit like, um, out of you know, in a different context, it could just be like a Joy Division bass line or something. Oh, totally. Do you, are you a big Joy Division fan? Because I felt like your, um, mm-hmm. your Perfect Moment stuff obviously had that really high bass, possibly like chorus bass, which is like that's that right, yeah. stuff. That's right, yeah. That's that sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan. And I guess that's exactly what I meant by that Come As You Are riff that I'm hearing in my head. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so back to Little Gowser. Oh, yeah, I just taught myself to play. And, you know, like I got... I learned the chords um, out of a book or on on the internet, I suppose, um, when I was 16 and practiced, you know, practiced writing songs from the age of 16 and kind of learnt enough chords to do what I wanted to, what I heard in my head um, by the time I was 18 and I haven't really progressed as a guitarist since, um, <laughs> you don't need which to. is fine. It's just like, yeah. I just I had the tools to do what I wanted to do. Um, do you remember the first songs you wrote? Like what were the what yeah. were they about? Oh, I don't remember what they were about. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people with an incredible memory, um, which I'm mostly grateful for. <laughs> 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 Sometimes I am envious of those people, but um, <laughs> I, I really don't know. It would have been something to do with like, it's probably the same shit that I'm dredging up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Jesus yeah. almost got me. Yeah, um, G- Jesus, Jesus, girls, and sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> is Jesus almost got me? Which is the title of your new record? Is that autobiographical? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's a song called Jesus Almost Got Me, and um, uh, <laughs> so the first <laughs> verse is um, is about playing football and like, and Jesus is coming to try to tackle me, and I like. I balk him, you know, I sell him the dummy and then, and then all of his angels like kind of, um, then it's their, their turn to try to dispossess me of the ball. And then I managed to like cut through them. And for some reason they're all wearing, um, like Mary McKillop blue is the color of their team. Um, (laughs) and I don't know, Jesus almost got me. It's just like, I, I grew up in a, um, not a religious household, but I went to a Catholic, uh, primary and secondary and high school. And it was never forced on me. In fact, you know, dad's an atheist and mum doesn't care. But I, mm. like, I was always very interested in the stories and sure. the and the iconography and found it, you know, inspi- awe-inspiring. Who, who wouldn't? I mean, it's so fantastical. Um, it's just like, you know, it was, it, was, it was similar to all the mythology that I was reading and all the fantasy I was reading, but someone mm. was telling me that this was real, you know. It's like, who yeah. wouldn't be um, intoxicated by all that? And so, like, I kind of, I wanted it to be real because it's almost like, it's like, a, you know, a fantasy book could be real. Who wouldn't want for that growing up? So, Jesus almost got me, like, I almost indoctrinated myself. Um, and I think lots of people could probably relate to that uh, in, for sure. in those years of their lives. And But more importantly, the second verse of that song is um, when Kathy Freeman won the 400 gold um, at Sydney ah. Olympics. And um, if you go back and have a listen to that one, you'll, you'll hear the story, but it's like... Uh, you know, Kathy crossed the finish line, Bruce on the microphone. Um, I scared myself that day praying to the TV screen, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it was so exciting. And I was it just was. like, I remember fucking that Jesus, you know, like surely that's a miracle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so clearly too. But yeah. I don't, I'm not sure I was praying, but I was definitely communicating with the universe in some way. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
But were you when smoking you... a bong? <laughs> you were smoking a bong. <laughs> I was doing bucket bongs, and I was like, "Come on, um, come on, Kathy." <laughs> but when when you say, don't you say something like, "When Jesus knew he lost me, he turned to you." Who who are you yeah, talking to? Yeah. Just the person that I knew growing up. You know that like it that didn't quite that didn't that failed to to balk Jesus. Jesus got um, him. Or her. Yeah, like yeah. if someone that I um looked up on Facebook like a year ago, I was like, wow, yeah. you're you're in deep. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just coming back to this word comfortable because I'm I'm fascinated by it because I I feel like you talked about it so much when you were younger. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I found it quite a bit um in like old interviews and stuff, and mm. um I wonder if maybe not being comfortable or or maybe trying to like breach the um, the wall of whatever you were trying to do at the time, uh, was trying was trying to trying to buck your audience a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. And I wonder how you feel about your audience now. Yeah, um, yeah. It was two parts. It was just like that. I felt that in order to make decent art, it had to be like a bit of a wrestle involved, you know. Um, and then back then, I also well understood that that would probably alienate some of the audience that I'd built and um you know it was a terrible kind of commercial decision a series <laughs> of terrible commercial decisions to make but I just from day one I just was doing it for me um and I you know and I'm grateful for the like the support that I had from labels mm. managers publishers and stuff so it's not like I was unaware that there were other people involved um it wasn't completely selfish but um you know all my favorite artists developed their their sound and their craft and did it so, you know, unashamedly so. And mm. um, I had them for guidance. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do it anything differently if I had a second go at it. It's just made, it's made things a lot harder in terms of maintaining audience and mm. um, the commercial viability of my music. It's meant that like there's been less money around to fund stuff and I've had to, you know, fund it myself or find clever ways to, 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 to make things. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that kind of weird, like zealot that I was in my twenties, um, <laughs> you know, just like running, jogging yeah. every day, drinking beer every second day. Um, and just felt like music and life had to be a wrestle and, you know, falling deeply and intensely in love and out of love. And, yeah. um, I guess I've just kind of don't have those like extreme feelings anymore about things. Um, I've kind of leveled out a bit, which is yeah, a relief. And I think that's something that I think it happens to lots of people, but I also, I, I just, in thinking about my male friends, I feel like that's very, that's a similar story for them. And perhaps that could mm. be said for all people as well. I'm not sure, but definitely for me and my male friends. Yeah. As you get older, you just sort of care a little bit less maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a little bit more, and and, and yeah. in that like yeah. in the right, in a more sophisticated, meaningful <laughs> yeah. way or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm just about to release an album on the fourth mm -hmm. of August, and I have some weird feelings about it that I've never felt before releasing an album, which is like I'm worried that it's going to be a piss in the ocean, way more mm. than I ever have before. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, that's music and releasing music in 2023, huh? Yeah. But I've never, mm. yeah, because I get it's been ages. I mean, I think the last record I I released was like eight years ago or something. So it's been a really long time for me, right. and I I feel so strange about it 
and but then also like every second day I'm like ah fuck it like who cares uh, it's fine mm. like I'm just proud that I finished something um yeah, which is really I hard to do feel the same way it's hard against the odds too you know you and I have made records against the odds yeah you know uh, I don't know if you if you agree with that, but um for sure, yeah, yeah, a music industry that is very ill and poor. The two like funding structures um are under resourced and record yeah. labels and, and and you know grants, public money. Oh, um, for sure. Did you fund your um, record all by yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, I funded it because through the generosity of my friend Rowan Sforcino, who um is a producer and and mixer, and he mixed my record. He um he runs a studio in Melbourne called Head Gap and this was kind of a surplus piece of kit there. And, um, I mean, I'm sure he's desperate to have it back, but he, he lent it to me to make this record and taught me how to cut tape and, um, make analog recordings. And so, um, in that sense, you know, and sure, I, I the instruments and stuff around here are, are pretty special, but you know, I've had, you know, I've, I, they're mine. Um, they're part of my collection. So I more or less was able to fund it on my own. I just got some, I got, you know, paid Rowan to mix it and paid yeah. someone to, to master it. And, um, yeah. you know, I take my own film. Most of the pictures of me, I, I take of myself on a timer on my film camera and I develop it and scan it here. And um, I've made my last two music videos. I've got one coming out, you know, next week. Um, oh, in fact, I suppose when this comes out, it'll, it'll have just been released. Yeah. Um, tell me about yeah. the song. What do you, what song is it for? It's, um, in the grip of something, um, mm-hmm. which is the third track, which is a bit of an anti-single, but I figure like it's a whole, whole record's like a record out of time. So why not, um, yeah, fuck <laughs> go it. with the anti-single yeah. <laughs> acoustic guitar, piano and pedal steel. There's no Lovely. big bombastic backbeat or no big chorus, but, um, I think it's it suits um it's a good representation of the rest of the record. And I was in um I took a week off from my my job, my day job to go to Japan just to kind of thaw out um because it's freezing in Melbourne and yeah. Japan was like muggy and beautiful and kind of moody and um like cinematic and and I brought a shitty little handy cam camera and just film instead of taking photos this time I just took video of things. Great. And I stitched that together as for a music video. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, making it all myself, um, and learning the skills to do that, which has been really fun and satisfying, but I guess returning to the the point that we, yeah, we've made our, we've made our records against the odds, you know, like it, mm. and they are probably, they're records that won't change the world. They're, they're records that no one needs to hear, but, um, it's been important for me to, to write and, and create this record mostly for, you know, make writing music is part of the self-identity that I've forged for myself. And so mm. if I re- neglect it, I feel shitty about myself. Um, and I don't want to feel shitty about myself. I just want to feel good and yeah. okay. Um, and this whole process has been great for my mental health, you know, as well. It's just like running's good for my mental health. Writing music is good for that too. Not that I have huge issues with that, mind you. I just like, it just makes me feel good. Um, it's like, I, I talk about this a lot. I think that there's a real sort of, a lot of people just have this feeling that they need to do it. It's not like a, um, it's right. not a feeling that they they want to do it. It's a feeling that they need to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's like um an impulse, or it's more than yeah. that. Um, yeah. And for me, that has to. I suppose it's like this is something that I've dedicated the majority of my life to now, um, which is wild. I mean, if you do the math, it's literally the majority of my life. I've been yeah. trying to work out how to write songs that I'm happy with. Um, and I feel like I've got to a place where I am doing that. Uh, and I know I've said that in the past, but, um, 
yeah, I like the way I'm singing now. It's just kind of singing. I kind of only sing as loud as I'm talking to you right now and it makes yeah. for a nice sound. Um, yeah, I can relate to that. I sing very softly as well. Mm, right. Again, it's not a wrestle anymore. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I really look forward to hearing your record. So that'll be it. By the time this podcast is out, it'll be, it's like two weeks time or something. I'm going yeah. to text Well, give me a pre-listen. You. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to give you Put a preview. Add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many things. Um, well, I have another really important question to ask. Um, okay. Was, was winning the adult contemporary aria the end of your sex life? <laughs> Let me have a think. Um, I think I think it was, but purely coincidentally. <laughs> Let the records show. <laughs> okay. You know, there was a there was a time there was a time and <laughs> where winning that award with that particular title would have been wild for your sex life you know yeah maybe like what 1972 or something sure. grammy yeah. for adult yeah. contemporary um but alas <laughs> if you go on wikipedia and you and you look up dusty springfield the genre is adult contemporary so there. really oh that's <laughs> interesting i know i i mean i would say that a lot of the music i like is actually adult contemporary you know i mean some would say that harry nelson is adult contemporary and oh, he fucking rules everyone. So, yeah, it's exactly what he is. Yeah, yeah, he's kind that's of what he is. yeah poster boy for it. Yeah. And Dusty would be on the other, you know, the, the female Chanteuse version of it, I suppose. And I reckon yeah. Harry got laid heaps. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon he did. Yeah, good on him. Hey, I'm so I'm so happy to get to talk to you. I feel like we could just ramble on for another couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. Um, but let's do it not on mic. Um, okay. so I'm, I'm going to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everyone. Can you tell me what's your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician? Okay. So, um, when I was making my second record, the O Mercy record, Great Barrier Grief, I made it in Santa Monica with Mitchell Froome, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the... Famous the, man. He's famous. A famous music producer, <laughs> an incredibly talented, generous, kind guy that I'm still mates with. Um, <clears throat> and he invited me to a party in Santa Monica. It was Bob Clare Mountain's, like, 50th or something. Whoa. Bob Clare Mountain is, um, yeah, you might be familiar yeah. with him. He mixed, like, some most of those, a lot of seminal 70s and 80s records and into the 90s and right up to now, I believe. Um, but like, I'm thinking like he did like, um, like in excess's kick. Um, yeah, I felt like he did um, a lot of massive records. Yeah. And he did like born in the USA and the first three crowd house records. And yeah, anyhow, I was at his party at his beautiful home. Um, and I think it was a joint 21st for his daughter actually, which was peculiar. Weird. <laughs> and I was like already weird 23 or something and for four and they'd in, and they'd um hired like we're in they're in California right and they hired an Australian girl to teach everybody how to do salsa what <laughs> like salsa dance you know <laughs> <laughs> and she was she was from um I think she was from um Bondi Beach or something like that and anyway uh, classic Australian um, town yeah so like I was excited. Chrissy Hines was there. She Whoa. kept on thinking I was English. Yeah, it was cool. Um, 
that guy Don Don Moss, the record producer there, the guy with the hat and the hair, he's wearing he had the hat and the hair and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, of course, there was free beer, and I'm 23, and I probably Uh-oh. just run you know 20k that morning, and I was like, cool, I've done my. It's the Catholic upbringing, like I've, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've done my, I've tortured myself, and now I can indulge myself. Yeah. Um, and I was drinking beer and needed to go to the toilet to piss, um, and went to the inside. Met Bob Clare Mountain's wife, who was really nice and is a really clever. Um, I believe either she's an engineer or a designer, or worked for a company, or like started a company that was. Um, producing these really cool microphones at the time. I'm mm. sure she's doing something interesting now. Anyway, um, uh, and she was like, yeah, there's bathroom. She says, thanks. And then there was a line. I was hanging around talking to someone, talking to like one of Bob Clare Mountain's daughter's friends um, or something. Um, and then I was just like, oh, this is, this is bad. You know, like <laughs> I really need to go. And then I started poking around the house a little bit. I went down. It was like a three-story house. Someone had told me there was a recording studio on the bottom level mm-hmm. where um, Bob Clare Mountain had been remixing um, the B-sides of Bruce Springsteen's um, Darkness in the Edge of Town. It had Because the Night on it, you know, the one that right. Patti Smith wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, the one that Patti Smith recorded. And it also had Fire on it, the one that the Pointer Sisters had a hit with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so really needing to go to the toilet, busting, um, and worked my way down level by level. And um, I suppose I could have gone in, like, the garden or something, but, like, uh, there was... Um, a, a girl, a blonde Australian girl from Bondi Beach teaching her how to salsa, so I couldn't. Um, and I went down to the bottom level and like opened a door which looked very much like, um, oh no, this is where that, I need to clarify this. Um, Bob was down there while everyone was doing a salsa. I was like, mm-hmm. and I'd met him earlier and it was cool. He said I should come down at some point and take a look. And I was like, before we get into it, is there a toilet down here? I probably said bathroom to be polite to the Yanks. Yeah. Is there a bathroom down here? And he's like, oh yeah, just through there. And um, he went off into the other room and I and I opened the door and shut it so quickly um, and that I heard a bit of a crash behind me and I was like, oh, that's oh, just God. a weird crappy door. And I, you know, I had, I went to the toilet, zipped up my pants, turned around and I realized that I'd um, that Bob Clare Mountain had, and I could tell by where the nail in the in the back of the door was, had nailed his platinum record for Roxy Music's Avalon oh my God. <laughs> to the back of his basement toilet <laughs> door, an inch off the ground, intentionally an inch off the ground, <laughs> and when I'd banged it shut. It had fallen on the ground and I'd and I cracked the glass no. of the platinum record. Oh no! So that's that's my story. I, I popped it up. I admitted what I did later to um Bob Clare Mountain's lovely wife, um and she laughed and laughed. Um, <laughs> oh no! That yeah. is such a good story. What a great like music music biz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, music, Bonanza. music whiz, <laughs> <laughs> music whiz. Yeah. Whoa! I wonder if he got it fixed. Also, how crazy that it was so close to the ground. Cracked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the funniest thing. It's like yeah. he's obviously, um, <laughs> yep, he's, maybe he's not his proudest work. I mean, I love that record. I it's cool. Fucking love that record. What a great yeah, record. Yeah, it's got a lot of cool synth stuff on it. Yeah. Yes, it's the best. I should have pulled the nail out and um, given a little bit of height. The height that it deserves. <laughs> um, well, that 
That is such a good story. Thank you so much for telling it. And thank you for talking about your beautiful new record. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. It's really special. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see you again when, when you end up doing some shows and stuff, um, hmm. you know, whenever that happens. That'll happen. And thanks thanks for taking the time to talk to me on your podcast. And yeah, let's catch up in real life. Oh my God, wait, life. we didn't talk about your podcast. Oh, oh. Uh, it doesn't matter. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Another time. Um, yeah. It's on the internet. It's called One Guitar. You can look it up. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, and if so I was still doing it, I'd have you on it to um, celebrate the release of your record, which I, I can't wait to hear. So you'll have to send that through. Mm-hmm.